Hola y bienvenidos a Peruvians of USA, peruanos de Estados Unidos. Un podcast en español, inglés y spanglish donde compartimos las diversas historias del inmigrante peruano. Mi nombre es Natalie Sofía y soy una chica peruana que vive en los Estados Unidos por más de 20 años. Welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast in Spanish, English and Spanglish where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. My name is Natalie Sofia, a fellow Peruvian living in the U.S. for more than 20 years. So let's get started. Hola, mi gente. Happy miércoles. Today I'm bringing you a bonus episode. So I just got back from a trip to Greece. It was a sort of honeymoon. I'm celebrating one year anniversary. I got married last year. Yes, it was a pandemic, COVID, small wedding. <laughs> But we felt comfortable enough this year to take a trip abroad and we ended up going to Greece. So if you're interested in me sharing some of my experience in Greece, let me know, send me messages or comment on this on the post about this episode. But the bonus episode that I'm bringing you today is actually an interview with my husband, Marcus. In this interview, I ask him about being married to a Peruvian. I ask him the questions about, you know, what were some of the cultural aspects that were easy to embrace, what was difficult, did anything give him pause, what is his advice to someone who is dating a Peruvian. This was a fun interview for me to do. It's the first time I'm interviewing my husband and I'm introducing him to the audience of Peruvians of USA. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Definitely let me know. I always appreciate when you comment or when you share on social media. So I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you that Peruvians of USA has officially launched its scholarship program. The first scholarship is to honor my grandfather, Javier Verdales Guaripata, and we will award $1,000 to a student with a Peruvian heritage in high school or college. Help us spread the word about this opportunity for Peruvian students by sharing with your friends and family. For more details, visit peruviansofusa.com or visit the link in bio. Also, remember to follow us on social media. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want more community or you want to find out more about our initiatives, like how we're supporting Peruvian-owned businesses or life behind the scenes, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It is the easiest way to share our podcast with people you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing Peruvians like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so you never miss an episode, and make sure to check our blog at Peruvians of USA com where you can sign up for our email list. Thanks for listening. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome Marcus to Peruvians of USA and thank you for helping me with this last minute idea to interview you um, and introduce you to the audience of Peruvians of USA. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Marcus. I am Natalie's husband <laughs> and man in the shadows. Yeah, we're celebrating our year anniversary and it, it's great to be here. Yes, and Marcus definitely has helped me with the Peruvians of USA logo and has been very supportive throughout this um, year and a half endeavor of Peruvians of USA. So thank you for that. Um, as Marcus said, we have recently celebrated our first year of marriage. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've been together for seven years plus. So we've been together quite a long time. And I thought this was the perfect opportunity to formally introduce him to the audience of Peruvian of USA and also talk about what it's like to be married to a Peruvian. So I have a few questions for you. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> so we'll start with some easy questions. 
What is your favorite Peruvian dish? I really like arroz chofa. I've always loved Asian food, and, and it's really just a blending of cultures. It's, it's very tasty, and you get a little, little of everything. I'm not surprised <laughs> by that answer. You do like Chinese food and stir fries, so that seems like the perfect um, Peruvian dish that you would like. Thinking back to when we met, so we actually met online, and we started messaging I, one of the first few questions that I asked you was, have you tried Peruvian food? And that was really my way to sort of test <laughs> if you were, if you appreciated other cultures mm-hmm. and if you had any exposure to Peruvian culture. I remember. It, it was a test. It was a test. <laughs> <laughs> Just like everything. <laughs> it's a test. Do you remember what your answer was? Um, I said that I had tried some Peruvian chicken places, and I wasn't sure if that counted. It may not be fully the, the Peruvian restaurant experience, but yeah, I had tried some Peruvian chicken before, so maybe that was baseline acceptable. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I appreciated that answer because it, it showed that you understood that not that the things that you're exposed to might not be necessarily the true representation of a culture, so I really appreciated that. Um, all right, next question. So sometimes when I'm feeling a thousand percent Peruvian, I will play music loudly in our home, anything from wino to festejo. What style of Peruvian music do you like the most? That's a tough question. I mean, there's there's so many, and, and I think festejo, just seeing how couples interact and are really playful with the dance is, is fun to watch, and I, I do have some background in, in music. I played trumpet and piano for a long time growing up. But, you know, with Festejo, there's not a lot that I recognize in terms of instrumentation, and it's just a different experience. And I think just seeing something completely new is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A few years ago, we went to see Susana Baca in D.C. Mm-hmm. What was your impression of, like, her music, her style? Yeah, it's been some time. I think with lots of Peruvian culture, like you brought up the thousand percent Peruvian, you know, it's either... It's all or nothing in many ways, and in some of the best ways, and I think with the music especially, people just feel it in their hearts and really express that, and there, there's no in-between. There's no, I was kind of sad this day. It was, I was... <laughs> we're really sad, or we're really happy. <laughs> Either the happiest of all time ever, or um, not worth sharing, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have a saying, I mean, I think this is a saying throughout Latin America, um, corta vena song, which means like uh, songs that makes you want to cut your risk. <laughs> that's the saying, that's the saying we have. <laughs> he just made a face for people who can't see. <laughs> okay, so um, next question. So we're getting into the tougher questions. Early in our relationship, while we were dating, you came to visit me in Peru while I was working there on a consulting project. You came to Peru and we explored Lima and then we went to Cusco and did like a four-day hike to Choquequirao. What were your impressions of Peru during that trip? Yeah, my impressions were were many and especially I, I didn't know very much about Peru. I have to be honest that I think my brother had gone a few years prior and explained some of the culture and brought back some small gifts and things. And I hadn't really interacted with too many Peruvian people growing up, so I, I didn't really have a basis for appreciating what I saw and kind of looking back now, definitely have a, a different perspective. But I think on the first trip, 
just the variety of regions of Peru, like going from the city on the coast with beaches that maybe were a little bit grayer than I expected in Lima, but that the cliffs and, and kind of the, the differences in elevation there, but then going from that to Cusco, closer to the Andes and some of the Amazon areas, was just, yeah, just so, so different. And I think in the U.S. we're blessed a lot to have those different geographic differences, but in other countries you may not always get that. And that was one of the things I definitely remember. Do you think it was important for you to visit Peru for us to grow in our relationship? I think so, but I think with any relationship, it's showing that you care about the things that are important to your partner. And Peru is clearly important to you. And to, to show that I'm at least open to learning and um, willing to spend time and, and money and resources to, to make that effort, yeah, that's important for sure. So how have you educated yourself in Peruvian culture? Or have I forced feed you? (laughs) (laughs) Peruvian culture. (laughs) I mean, I think the biggest thing is being around Peruvian people and just seeing their perspective on mostly Natalie's family. And right now I'm taking Spanish classes, which will be a ongoing, continual, never-ending pursuit. I did not speak Spanish growing up and took French in high school and college, so that was that was my mistake, but... Then yes. took Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> so right now I have a Peruvian Spanish teacher, not not Natalie, and that's also been helpful to, to have that perspective on how to learn the language, what phrases are used, what's, what's, not, u- what's not used, but there, there's a lot more I could do. There's a lot to read. I've read some Peruvian fiction and Peruvian po- poetry a little bit, but in terms of history and kind of the, the foundation of how Peruvian things exist and where they came from, there's a lot that, yeah. I, that I still have to learn. Yeah. I think it was last year where we watched a movie, the film, the documentary. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, the name's escaping me. But it was a documentary that talked about Peru's identity. It's called Identidad. It was talked about Peru's identity and how it has developed from really early on, from like, uh, particularly in the 80s and 90s. And it touched on, obviously, the impact of terrorism from The Shining Path or Sendero Luminoso. And it was important for me to share that documentary with you because it, it gave you some context to my childhood in Peru. What were some of your reactions to that documentary? I mean, it was interesting because it, it came out as a, an explanation of the, the soccer yeah. match and getting yeah. to, going to the World Cup, and, and, and that was the launching point. And, you know, up until that point, I, I knew that, I guess, you know, in Natalie's lifetime, the, the football team hadn't been very relevant, I'll say, <laughs> in world competition. <laughs> wanted to take a break here to share that Peruvians of USA now has an online store. Help us spread the message that El Mejor Amigo de un Peruano es Otro Peruano by visiting our online store. We also have feminine versions that said La Mejor Amiga de una Peruana es Otra Peruana or gender neutral versions. This could be the perfect gift for a Peruvian in your life. Visit the link on the episode notes or link in bio. All right, back to the episode. (laughs) Now we're the best team. Best team. (laughs) But just to see how 
important that lens was to introduce all of those stories and um, the history of Peru was really interesting. I think the movie in itself, it covered a lot. There was an animated sequence that kind of walked back to the origins of Peru and, and how the country got to where it is today and how people's perspective of helping each other or not helping each other was a result of kind of fighting for itself. And yeah, I would need to, to refresh my memory on the particulars, but there was just a lot to cover. And especially from the mindset of now we have a celebration that, you know, a United soccer team, a football team is, is on the cusp of going to the World Cup or, you know, in that series. And yeah, there's just so much pride as well as figuring out what it means to be Peruvian. And I think that's a struggle that I know in the U.S. we we deal with. So yeah, it was a really interesting, really interesting documentary. One of the things that I appreciate about you and our relationship is that, yeah, I said when I'm feeling a thousand percent Peruvian, um, you know, there are moments, there are things that I want to share with you. And that was one of the things, the documentary. And then prior to that in 2018, we went to see a soccer game when we were in New York. We went to New Jersey to a Peruvian restaurant and there was a big screen and we saw, unfortunately, Peru lost, I think, against Denmark. But I really appreciated that you got to see the passion of people and then also got to experience the, the feeling of being so close but not getting there yet. It's a very, it's very, it's something that Peruvians commonly know. Like, we, it's almost like we almost made it but we did it and so that like almost feeling it's it's something that I think every Peruvian can understand and so like I think you got to experience that the frustration that comes from that but also the ability to like pick yourself up up again Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that's very characteristically Peruvian all right so there are moments uh, or things that happen in the news or films that I share with you and I get emotional about Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm even getting emotional just like talking about it because they either made me think about something growing up, a feeling or a goal that I had for me, myself or my family, my community. How has that impacted you? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that attracted me to, to Natalie in the beginning was just seeing that in some ways we were both outsiders from very different experiences but for myself I'm black growing up in a a white town in the U.S. and I say white but primarily Italian like 90% Italian and not a lot of people of color black or otherwise in my high school and in my friend group and I think seeing Natalie work through the process of what it means to come to a new country and figure out what her identity is and find find her strength in in her story and, and coming here and 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 I think she'll tell that story more so I don't want to get into it too much but you know she's an incredibly strong person and she's strong because she went through a lot and especially at the age she did we're formed by our childhood and that's just something that is pain, can be painful and to, to bring up that pain when at the time you experienced it you didn't have the emotional capabilities to know what it meant and to, to revisit that yeah it's an emotional experience and it's both 
humbling to, to see Natalie deal with that and, and not be able to, to provide comfort, but also, you know, that's what has made her what who she is today. And so I think this podcast is definitely part of that process as well. And there's a lot to, to, to learn from and for Natalie still to share with, with all, of, all of the audience. All right. So for my next question, what aspects of the Peruvian culture has been the easiest for you to embrace and why? One of the things that I appreciate the most and would like to say it's easy to experience is just the importance of family. Seeing how Natalie interacts with what she called her roommates at the time we started dating <laughs> slash parents. <laughs> I'll tell um, the backstory too. <laughs> I mean, they were her parents, but they were also her friends and people she confides in and shares things with and laughs with. And I, I am close to my, my family, to my parents and my brother, but it's not to the same level. And I don't know if that's an American thing or a me thing, but just seeing how much love there is among family members, um, especially immediate family and extended family that are that are here and close by has been really nice to appreciate and trying to trying to experience myself (laughs) yes and um one of the moments that i appreciated the most was when we went to one of my aunt's birthday and we all went around sort of giving a toast to her and there were probably what like 20 plus of us maybe more and i think it was from the oldest to the youngest had to give a, a small toast and i don't know if that's done in every Peruvian household, but it's definitely something that I've experienced in both households, like my mom's side and my dad's side. And so Marcus uh, was expected to also give a toast, and uh, and you did. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I said. It was probably half Spanish, half French, half English, but I said something. <laughs> yeah, no, you, I don't remember what you said, but it made sense. <laughs> I, think I, I think it did. <laughs> All right, so if the family aspect was the seems to be the easiest or the one that you appreciate the most, what has been the toughest to embrace and why? I think there's there's two things. I think kind of the overarching thing is, is just language. I, I said that, you know, I'm trying to learn Spanish, and not so much because I feel like I need to speak to Natalie in Spanish. Clearly, you know, we communicate in English. In terms of getting to know family members and understanding music and reading influential authors and politicians and news articles, like there's really no substitute for that language. And I know that I'm pretty quiet by nature anyway. And so for me to, to know people's personality and show some vulnerability is very difficult in a language that you can communicate, kind of point here, this, that, yes, thank you, no. But to go beyond that, language is very important. And so I think that's that's a big struggle. And that's just to get through to the bigger piece of just history and culture. And there's so much, so many different cultural influences, you know, from Peru, from the Incas to the Amazon culture to Afro-Peruvians. And there's many, many more that I, that I haven't mentioned. Yeah, that's a lot. And 
as Americans, we are terrible about learning our own history, <laughs> let alone the history of South America or other countries that are <laughs> that are in the world. So there's a big learning curve there, and yeah, yeah hopefully you know I have time to to learn a fraction of it. Yeah. So you mentioned that language is the toughest, and that I'm close to my family and I interact quite frequently with them, which means you interact with them as well. How has it been interacting with them? despite the language barrier. My parents, my dad speaks uh, some English, my mom a bit less than that. How has it been interacting with them? And then how have her parents interacted? Because your parents don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Although your mom does speak a little bit. <laughs> my parents think they know more than they do. <laughs> Which... But your mom and my mom understand each other yeah. more than, <laughs> than I actually thought it, they, they would. So. So has it been getting to know Natalie's family? I think just that the fact that they're close helps a lot. We're, we're in the D.C. area. They're, they're about 40 minutes away from where we are now. And that's more or less how, how, how much distance we've had from them. And getting to know Natalie's mom and dad in their own house, you know, cooking with Natalie's mom has been probably the, the best way to, to get to know her. I, I do like to cook, and it's something that I think... Natalie's mom appreciates about me and we can we can share the, some of that and it's easy to to talk through a re- recipe and <laughs> single syllable words <laughs> <laughs> so that that's been good and then Natalie's dad yeah we, you know he's very smart and and wants to share his perspective on different things and kind of when he's in a setting of kind of holding court at a table and telling stories is, is really nice to see and I, I think just seeing when Natalie's with her parents, you know, she is the center of attention, and that is <laughs> both good and bad. But you know, she gets all the stories, she gets all the questions, and yeah, I, I don't get the attention, which is great for me, but may not get to share as much. And that's that's also you know something to to improve on in the future too. Yeah, definitely. My mom appreciates you when you cook, and she is excited when you prepare something new and she likes it and she asks you like what was in it recipes and when because you are a good cook and you compliment her food which it should always be done (laughs) she also appreciates your compliment probably value it's more valuable to her than mine because I am not a great cook (laughs) so yeah and I think one of the things I've tell my parents is to allow you to sort of speak Spanish at your own pace. It is slower than the natural Peruvian pace. You know, something that I had to sort of, or still have to stop myself from doing is just translating. I'm used to being in that position where I'm the translator, right? I grew up that way, where I'm translating for my parents. So we could be in the in the, in the dining room, at the dinner table, and my parents are saying something, then I translate to Marcus. I know you remind me, you know, I don't have to do that. It's something automatically that I do, but I know my mom can be impatient sometimes. <laughs> she'll like give you words to like you'll be pausing to think of the word. She'll be like this or that or that, and so I I have to remind her like let him let him talk. <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's it can be it can be difficult with the language barrier, but I think. I appreciate you trying and definitely my parents trying as well because they do try as well so okay so next question did anything about the Peruvian culture give you pause meaning you were not sure you were able to embrace it or whether you even wanted to 
Not not so much pause, just knowing that's going to take time to understand or even appreciate. I guess I think about kind of the, the Quechua language and kind of the next layer of Peruvian history and culture. And I think it's just something that, you know, isn't, it's very important, but there's only so much you can kind of ingest and, and be expected to know or understand or, yeah, that, that, that's at a first level. Yeah. Okay. So you are an American as you mentioned earlier, you're African-American who marry an immigrant, Peruvian, Latina. What did you have to educate yourself on to sort of understand my experience, particularly as an immigrant? Yeah. So I mentioned that I hadn't really grown up with many Peruvians and maybe a handful of Mexican kids were in my high school. But trying to under- trying to understand the difference of how you're perceived as South American versus Spanish-speaking versus Hispanic versus Mexican and kind of the identity questions that raises because similar, maybe similar to, to the Black experience, you know, you have Black Americans or Black Caribbean Americans who immigrated here or Africans from Africa or first generation and all those little intricacies people don't really think about but there's and then you bring in the the question of yeah country pride and citizenship and the ability to work or family members who can work or can't work and yeah there's just a a different amount of things to understand and perspective to to consider so my my understanding of the immigrant experience was mostly from going to school and, and college, you know, where people were trying to get to get jobs and there was certain visas that people wanted and didn't want. And so I had some grasp that the process seemed incredibly unfair and didn't make a lot of sense, but not not a lot of knowledge of things like asylum and how to get a green card or mm-hmm. kind of work through that whole process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also early in our relationship, I don't know if you noticed or, or took note of, I share my um, experience or the process I went through to towards my U.S. citizenship, or I made it clear that I was already a U.S. citizen. And that was really because I know that sometimes when you are particularly of Latinx and you are dating an American, there could be that question of like are you documented and are you pursuing a relationship with an American because of documents right Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to be very clear that that wasn't the case Mm -hmm. even though you never asked you never uh, questioned it but I just went straight and I think I shared a story to kind of say like Mm -hmm. I'm good (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely something that, you know, just like any any personal thing that's important, yeah, better to, to share and be clear about expectations and history up front. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so as a Latina, as a Peruvian, as an immigrant who grew up in the U.S., I've been exposed to some racism, some microaggressions, but as an adult, I had to educate myself on white privilege, on 
the benefits of proximity to whiteness. And I also had to educate myself in, on the overall black experience in the U.S. Um, actually, not as an adult. It started really as a teen or as a kid when I came to the U.S. One story I tell is that when I came to the U.S. and I was 10, my dad said, uh, you need to know this aspect of American history. And he got the um, Roots DVD, mm-hmm. which were like several VHS tapes. And I cried. <laughs> My grandma was upset at my dad for making me watch that. He didn't really make me watch it. He just said, you should probably watch this. And mm. so I got exposure to some aspects of the black experience in the U.S. early on. But I definitely had to educate myself more on it. So I'm setting up this question, which is 2020, I mean, was a tough year in terms of, or was the, the catalyst for many organizations, perhaps many people to start talking about race. And race is something that you and I have talked about, I want to say, quite a bit. But has what has been tough about being married to someone who's not African-American, who's not Black, and perhaps can never really fully understand that experience? Natalie just asked the, the easy questions, <laughs> just really easing, easing me into this uh, <laughs> podcast thing. So I, I guess the first thing is, the fact that you have educated yourself and I don't know how much Natalie has brought up on the podcast, but been a part of things like an organization in business school that kind of seeks out black and, and brown students to, to improve their access to higher education and really was a primarily black organization. Yeah, that, that's huge. And being able to have the conversations and ask questions and, and know what's important and, and whose voices to listen to and, and to ignore goes a long way in addressing some of the concerns that could come up and, and kind of talking to the black experience and, and what that means to me. Like I said, my experience is, is my experience growing up in a not terribly black-influenced town and not having a lot of friends growing up who were black other than kind of my brother and, and immediate family. So I'm still processing what that means. And so I think with last year, we'll talk about this a little bit, but I also am part owner of a CrossFit gym. And at the same time as COVID was happening, there was a lot of questions about representation in CrossFit and the owner said some bigoted things. And so there's a lot of things to process, my own kind of work experience, how to stay safe with COVID, how to deal with the death of George Floyd and the protests that happened afterwards and what we saw, you know, just outside our window in in Delaware from protests and looting just out of frustration. Yeah, there was a lot to process. And I think the hard thing is you don't want to always explain what this feels like or you know, what it reminds you of for your own experience. And that that's tough, not having a partner who's experienced the, the exact same thing. But everyone's story is different. And I, I think, you know, we were able to process it and kind of explain why certain things affected us or affected me seeing it happen. And yeah. And so just being able to share those stories and and share that perspective has has been helpful yeah i think for me 
Um, it was very impactful what was happening in 2020, particularly the death of Ahmad Arbery, because he was, and I'm going to try to say this without getting choked up, he was just running. He was just in a neighborhood running. And you run. <laughs> you go outside and you like to work out and you go running. And so that, I mean, all, all, the, all the deaths obviously were very impactful, but I think that one was, it just made me, it just brought it a, a little closer to home because it, it, it made me think that it, it could have been you. And, and that's tough. And I think I, it made me a bit more, like, just more careful. And I think, you know, I would say be careful, like, when you go out. Mm -hmm. or and, and, yeah, I think as a, a, a person who has not, who does not, has not experienced the black experience in the U.S., I think the best thing I can do is it's educate myself and read books that will give me a glimpse to it and just communicate with you about my concerns. I, I try not to ask you simple questions that perhaps I can just read somewhere or Google, but I do appreciate when we have discussions about race. I know it takes a lot of energy to do that. So, all right. So you mentioned that you're a co-owner of a CrossFit gym. Your gym, which is in Northern Virginia, you can tell more about it, <laughs> is celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, Latinx Heritage Month, by having a Spanish class led by a Peruvian CrossFit coach, actually. Why was it important for your gym to do that? Like I said, CrossFit doesn't have a great history of representing black people or, or brown people very well and there just needs to be more things like this. I saw there's a gym in New York that we were a part of for a short time and they had a Portuguese language class just a random Saturday in the summer and it hasn't it's something I hadn't seen before and you know even if two people show up, if zero people show up, we can say that, you know, we opened our doors and you know, offered what we could, and that's that's the bare minimum, right? And so maybe someone else will see this and do something similar in another language that that is common where they are. You know, we, we have a Peruvian CrossFit coach. We had a, a Spanish-speaking coach from Spain a few years ago, and I, I regret not reaching out and, and using that as a chance to share fitness with more people because we, black and, uh, black and brown people struggle with the same health health struggles of diabetes, of high blood pressure, of high cholesterol, and if we can do anything to, to prevent that or open people's eyes to, you know, it's not just medication, but your lifestyle, that's that's what we want to do. So we're happy to, yeah, doors are open, CrossFit Tyson's Corner, October 16th, 9.30 a.m. If you're in the area, please, please come by. Yes, definitely, and I'll uh, include uh, a link to where you can sign up for this CrossFit class in Spanish and Tyson's, CrossFit Tyson's Corner. And you mentioned like in 2020, CrossFit also had, there were a lot of conversations around CrossFit and diet representation. And I had to come to terms about whether I wanted to continue to participate in CrossFit because of all the conversations about what the owner had said and how he had treated members of the community who are diverse, right? 
And ultimately, I mean, you can speak for yourself, but ultimately I decided to continue to participate in CrossFit because I want to be able to be there once another Latina, another Latino, Latinx person comes in and I want them to see somebody who looks like them doing something different that perhaps nobody in their community has ever done. And so and so I, that's why I decided to, to stick with it and also because it's, it is a form of workout that I have learned <laughs> to appreciate. It definitely took a long time for me to appreciate it, but I have learned to appreciate it and then I'm actually planning to interview the Peruvian CrossFit coach that you mentioned. So we'll touch on CrossFit at a later point, but just a little bit of or cross, or how CrossFit sort of fits into our life. <laughs> and we also went to a CrossFit gym in Peru. <laughs> That's true. We did. That's true. There, there are CrossFit gyms in Peru. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's a, a long conversation to have, but... I think the perspective is there can be both sides. There can be people who do their own thing outside of an organization that hasn't treated a particular group well, and that's 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 a hard path, and there are people who are willing to do that. And for me, where I am at this point and where our gym is, the perspective and the, the training background and the answers that CrossFit have, I think... Are stronger than whatever leadership it has and so I, I want to share that with as many people as possible for people that look like me or look similar to me for sure yeah all right so we only have two more questions left so we're gonna wrap up <laughs> so we have worked on some projects together do you want to talk about it <laughs> yeah um, by projects Natalie does not mean uh, kids so oh, no. <laughs> prevent some questions from your audience um yeah so uh, I think at the end of last year like I said I'm involved with, with CrossFit and fitness in general my professional background is as a product manager and engineer but overall I just want to make people help people live their lives better and one of the things that I think will help with that is introducing kids to fitness at a at a young age and I have kind of a side hustle called Cartoon Fit Comics and had made a coloring book the year before just to introduce people to the concepts and some of the characters that I had created and we decided Natalie and I to to make a Spanish version of that book called Be de Bur- Burpees Be Burpees <laughs> Be or, or Be de Burpees <laughs> and the original book was B is for Burpees so it just kind of walks through the alphabet different fitness related terms and a uh, simple illustration that you can color in or color around if you're <laughs> younger, color through. <laughs> so yeah, that was a, a book that was created. It was available on Amazon. You can provide the link in the show notes. But yeah, it was the first, I guess, professional project that Natalie and I had worked on together, and it turned out really well. Yeah, I'm really happy we, we worked on that. All right, so last question. What is your advice what would what advice would you give to someone who is dating a Peruvian or married to one? <laughs> dating or married a Peruvian, um, I think biggest advice is, like Natalie said, you know, a thousand percent Peruvian. You know, even though I'm an engineer, I'm pretty sure a thousand percent 
isn't possible, but if there's a country that I can figure out how to be <laughs> more than 100% and just stri- skip straight to the to the next level, it's Peru. And so I'd say maybe just go the extra step. Like, don't wait for your partner to introduce music or an author or a holiday. You know, how about you ask the question of, I saw something in the news, is this true? Or what is your perspective on this? And I don't think it takes a whole lot of runway for for a Peruvian to (laughs) quickly give you education on all the things that you don't know. But showing that interest, I think, goes a long way. And so, yeah, you know, take the next step, even if you're not sure what the answer is, just ask the question. All right. Well, Marcus, thank you again Sure. for joining me on this episode. I hope the audience enjoyed it, and maybe I'll bring you back if they like it. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I'm looking forward to connecting with you there. All right. Talk to you soon. Ciao.